striving to be as a body of believers, as individuals. And that's so important uh, in our life. And today, having the courage to serve. I invite you to grab your Bible and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 13. Open your Bible app, the PCC app, uh, turn to John 13. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a blue Bible somewhere close to you and underneath the seats in front of you. Uh, If you don't have one, you can look around and somebody can can probably pass one to you and it'll be on or around page 763. Uh, I really do want to encourage you to put the text in your hands in some form or fashion this morning. Also, I encourage you to, to grab your sermon notes. So if there's something that strikes you that you want to write that down, you can do that as well. John is one of four gospels that give us the account of Jesus, his life, his ministry, Uh, each of the four authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they wrote to different audiences, and as such, they emphasized different parts or different priorities of Jesus's life and ministry. And in order to get a holistic view of Jesus's life, scholars and theologians have created what is uh, called a harmony of the gospels, okay? In essence, they've made a more unified timeline of what happened when, And so when we arrive at John chapter 13, there are some things that have happened in the the life of Jesus and in his ministry that John doesn't tell us about. John hasn't recorded these things, and yet we need to know them in order for us to get a bigger picture and to understand more fully what is happening at this time. In John chapter 13, we see the words, uh, according to verse 1, that it was just before the Passover feast. So that gives us a little time frame. That means it was Thursday of Holy Week. The Passover meal was about to be served. Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room, sharing his last supper with his disciples before he is betrayed, before he suffered, and before he's crucified. And as the evening meal is being served, we see this in verse 4. It says, he, and the he is Jesus, he, Jesus, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, why is this significant? Well, there's lots of reasons, but for us in our context today, we just need to go back in the story a little bit. According to the other gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, at one point when they were out, the disciples were out with Jesus and he was doing ministry and they were, uh, things were going really well. Uh, in Luke chapter nine, verse 46, it says, an argument arose among them as to which was the greatest. An argument that was probably a lot like arguments we have, right? Discussions that we have about uh, who is the best in a particular field, especially this time of year when we're in the NFL season, it just kind of kicked off. We're talking about what? We're talking about who's the best at each position. If you're in a fantasy football draft, you know that you wanted to get the best at the position for those positions, right? And so we use terms like this. We say, who's the GOAT? And the GOAT stands for? Greatest of all time. Everybody know that, right? Some of you may not. It's greatest of all time. You want to know who's the GOAT? They're saying Tom Brady as quarterback is the GOAT, right? Jerry Rice's receiver is the GOAT. Again, talking just about football. Who's the GOAT? Who's the best? Who's the greatest of all time? And you can almost hear the disciples having this discussion, can't you? If you know about the disciples, they're, they're stating their case for being labeled the GOAT. I always think Peter had to, had to speak up first, right? That's what Peter was known to do. Peter was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I was a guy, remember me? I walked on water, right? 
I was that guy. I got out of the boat and I walked on water. Surely I am the greatest of all time. And you can just hear the other disciples going, yeah, dude, but you sank, right? And Jesus had to rescue you. So just, you know, stop it right there. You've got John who refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved, right? I so say you've, you've got John going, well, I'm the one Jesus loves, so it's got to be me, right? And then you've got Andrew saying, well, hey, I was one of the first ones called. I was called before the rest of you, so I'm I've got to be the greatest. It's got to be me. And, and round and round and round they would go, all stating their case as to why they were the greatest. And near the end of this discussion, Jesus asked them, say, he, he says, hey, guys, what were you guys just talking about? And the interesting thing is this. The text tells us that the disciples went silent. <laughs> they were like a dog with his tail between his legs. He's like, nope, we don't want to tell Jesus what we were talking about because maybe we shouldn't have been talking about that, Right? But Jesus already knew. Look at verse 47 of Luke 9. It says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And and Jesus did all this to address the issue, right? The the discussion, the argument they were having. He's saying, hey, you guys are talking about who's the greatest of all time. And he taught them by saying, for it is the one who is the least among you all who is the greatest. We also see in Mark chapter 10 that right after Jesus had told the disciples again that he was going to be condemned to death, that he was uh, gonna die, right? That the brothers, James and John, they approach Jesus and they make this very humble request. They say, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. (laughs) Wow, right? This is quite the the request, right? Uh, They were essentially saying, hey, Jesus, let us be the second and third most important and most powerful and most influential people in your kingdom. We want to have positions of authority. We want to have positions of power. We want to be right up there with you when you come into your glory. And you can imagine how the rest of the disciples felt when they heard that they'd asked this question, right? When they learned that these two guys had asked Jesus this question, the, the other 10 said this. that says, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John, right? And I've often thought this indignation was twofold. On the one hand, they were, uh, they were upset saying, well, where do you guys get off, right? How come you think you're the best? And like, you know, you shouldn't have asked that question. Uh, you're, you're not the greatest, right? So you shouldn't have asked that. On the second part of that, on the other hand, I think part of them was going, dang, that's a great question to ask Jesus. I wish I would have thought of that, right? Because now, what do I say? Oh, no, pick me over them, right? And so they're like, ah, oh, I should have asked that before they did, but they beat me to it. And these are maybe some of the things that were going through the minds of the disciples, even as Jesus is telling them things like, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God, Matthew 23, 11, Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servant. Jesus was teaching his disciples. He'd been teaching them this all along, and once again, he's, he's trying to teach them, and this time by serving. When it says, John chapter 13, verses four and five, he, again, Jesus, he got up from the meal. He took off his outer clothing, and he wrapped a towel around his waist, After that, he he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was around him. 
Now, here's one of the struggles we have by living in central New Jersey in this area in 2019, right? Foot washing is not exactly something that we do, right? Anybody had a, gone to a foot washing thing recently? No. Okay, other than Roberto, yeah, put your hand down, man. You're, you're killing the point here. No, this is just not something we do anymore around here, right? It, it, but it was very, very impactful for the disciples and for the early church. When they read this, they would have seen this, and, and as they experienced this, this would have been one of the most scandalous acts of selfless service that they would have ever seen and that they would have heard about. I believe that the disciples were shocked that Jesus was doing this. And only Peter, again, Peter's the one who speaks up. And if you read the text there, you find out that Peter says, no, 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 Jesus, I'm not going to let you do that. So why was this a big deal? Well, I just want you to, to kind of put it in our context today, just a, a little bit if, if we can. If you come over to my house or if you go over to someone's house, how does that interaction usually work when you come to the front door, or to the door, you come into the house, whatever it's like? What happens? They usually say, hey, yeah, come on in. Let me take your jacket, you know, if it's, if it's a cool time or something like that, right? Uh, grab a seat. Can I get you something to, to drink, right? That's kind of the reaction, kind of the, you know, it may vary a little bit, but that's kind of, kind of the thing. It's what we do. It's polite. It's customary. It's tradition. That's just what we do. The same was true for them as well in, back in Jesus' time. Hey, come on in. Grab a seat. Can I get you a drink? Hey, let me wash your feet, well, that would sound odd to us, but not to them, because they would do that because the people were wearing sandals, right? Open sandals, not your cool, fancy sandals, but open sandals. They would walk everywhere that they go. Their feet were dirty and smelly, and I don't know if they're my feet, they're just nasty, right? It's just not, not a fun thing to do. And so let's clean those up so that we can enjoy our time together. But, but here's the thing. The master or the, the host they would not be the ones to wash the person's feet, nor would the person wash their own feet. Instead, a servant or a slave, the lowest of the low person in the household, the lowest servant, it was their job to wash the feet of people that came into the home. And so as the evening meal is being served, Jesus looks around and what does he see? Well, as one author said, Jesus sees proud hearts and dirty feet. He sees a group of guys that are all excited because of what's happened that week. Jesus had this triumphal entry, right, into Jerusalem. He's cleansed the temple. He's been teaching the people. He's gaining in popularity. They're celebrating this Passover meal with him, and they're anticipating that this is the time that Jesus is going to display his power, that he's going to, to have his, his strength, and all of this is going to happen, and, and he's going to, to give his authority, and he's going to come into his kingdom. Jesus sees these disciples who are excited about what is going to come and the way they think it's going to happen, and he realizes that they need to be taught, they need to be reminded, they need to be shown what is really important, what true power and what true authority is really willing to do. He shows them why he ultimately came. Jesus, God's one and only son, the, the bread of life, the prince of peace, the, the light of the world, the true vine, the alpha and the omega, all of those things that, that we call Jesus because of who he is, he's our redeemer and he's our Lord and he puts on the apron of a slave and he takes the position of a servant and he gets down on his hands and his knees and with a bowl and with a towel, he washes the feet of the disciples 
And in a very practical way, Jesus was showing them the ones that are the greatest among you, the greatest of all time, the goat, they're a servant. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, not to have everything done for him, but to show us what we needed done for ourselves because we couldn't do it for ourselves. He came to give his life as a ransom for us. Jesus was demonstrating that serving is not just something that you do, it is who you are. And the reality is this, most of us probably know that, it's knowledge that we have, we know that to be true, we know that we're called to love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, we, we know that we are to serve him, and, and one of the primary ways we serve him is when we serve each other, we know that we are called to be a servant, and while that's true, I, I don't know that it always translates into us being a servant, I don't know that it translates into us serving others. So why is that? Well, if we know it's the case and we believe it to be true, what is it that we need in order to be a servant? I don't claim to have the right answer or the only answer or to be able to kind of check that box for you, but I would propose that one of the answers to the question as to why we are not servants is that what we need in order to be a servant is a passion for Jesus. And I wonder if we have that. And that's not for me to decide for you. That's for you to look inwardly in your life and, and to determine if you have a passion for Jesus, a, a passion for the relationship with Jesus that impacts your relationship with him and your relationships with everyone else. It gives us a desire not just to serve other people and to do those things, but to be a servant. Because again, serving is not just something we do. A servant is who we are called to be. And I, and I would contend that, one of the, that for us uh, to become servants, what is most needed is not another sermon on serving. <laughs> it's not a song that inspires you or a blog or a class or a seminar or a podcast. All of those things are good and they have their purpose and they have their place. I'm not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but I, but I think what we really need in our life is to have a passion for the person of Jesus Christ if we're truly going to be a servant to have this passion, to have this intense love and desire for someone or something, and that being Jesus. And I would propose that more and more people are, are going through life and they're, they're realizing they need something, they don't know what it is, and, and I would propose that it's intimacy, it's a passion, a desire for God. And they need to be shown the way that that can happen. As Wesley Duell says when talking about God, he says we need to be utterly impassioned by his love and his grace. We see this illustrated, uh, at least to me, in an interesting way in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. Uh, to set the scene for you for just a moment, Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through a village. You know, they walked everywhere. They wore the sandals. They walked everywhere. Where they were walking through a village where Martha lived. And Martha, you know, heard they were coming or saw that they were there. And so she invites them to her place to come over for dinner. So Jesus and his disciples, they go to Martha's house. Well, at Martha's house, her sister Mary is also there. And while uh, the disciples and Jesus are waiting, Jesus and his disciples, and, and probably anyone else in the town that kind of gathered around, they were having conversations and talking about things. And I, I don't know what they were talking about. The text doesn't tell us. But what we do know is that Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to what he said. All right? So you've got, they're in Martha's home. 
Martha's sister Mary is at the feet of Jesus while they're there. And as the story unfolds, Martha is busy with all the tasks that had to be accomplished so that her guests, the people she'd invited over, right, they would be comfortable and well-fed. She is no doubt uh, passionately working very hard, doing the things, being a good servant to provide for the people there. And, And while she's doing that, she notices that Mary was there. And instead of Mary being in the kitchen, helping her out, what's Mary doing? Well, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him. And this obviously frustrates Martha, So she marches into the room where Jesus is and she says this, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? (laughs) Tell her to help me. If you've got kids, it's like, well, I've got to clean up the living room. They're not doing anything, right? It's, come on, let's do this together. You should be helping me. Now, before we go any farther in the story, uh, there's a little bit of historical context that, that just, just helps, some cultural context as well. At this point in history and in the culture, the expectation was that the women would not be in the same room as the men as these things were happening, all right? They should be in a separate room, and in this particular context, in this particular time, uh, she should have, Mary should have been in with Martha helping prepare the meal, When we look at Martha, we see a woman who obviously values serving and taking care of people. She's opening her home. She's working hard to provide a good meal, a clean place for Jesus and and the disciples. She's a good, godly woman who has embraced her role in serving. And seeing Mary at Jesus' feet was not what she expected. And so she does what she probably should have done. She said, hey, Jesus, can you tell Mary to help me out here? But Jesus' response was somewhat surprising. He didn't say to Martha, hey, Martha, you know, you're right. Let me talk to to Mary. I'll, I'll get her in there with you. He didn't say to Mary, hey, you should be in the kitchen. Rather, he, he says this to Martha. He says, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It's interesting that Jesus says Mary has chosen what is better. Mary chose to be with the Lord, to sit at Jesus' feet and to listen to his words. Despite the conflicting cultural demands and ideology, despite family expectations, despite the the cultural uh, place that she found herself in, her desire was to be in the presence of the Lord. And Jesus said that will not be taken away from her. Martha chose to serve and to do good things for Jesus, and that was fine, and that was needed, and that was good. Notice Jesus didn't tell her necessarily that what she was doing was wrong, just that Mary chose what was better. You see, Mary had a passion to be in the presence of Jesus. All of that to tell you this. There are a lot of things that we can do for the Lord. The opportunities to serve, are endless. There's lots of things that need to be done, lots of things that we should be doing, things like telling our friends and our family and our our classmates and our coworkers and our boss and people that we meet at the gym, telling them about the love of Jesus and how they can discover and experience him. We are to share courageously that which we believe fully. We need to invest in the lives of each other and serve each other in that way. We can teach a class. We can join a ministry team. We can volunteer in the PCC Kids Ministry. The list of opportunities and things to do are endless. But I would suggest that as believers, we all need to be serving, yes. But that should not take the place of having a passion for Jesus. 
because you can be doing a lot and not be serving the Lord. We need to have a passion for Jesus. Henry T. Blackaby in his book, Experiencing God, writes these words. He says, God is far more interested in a love relationship with you than he is in what you can do for him. And that is so powerful to realize that yes, those things need to be done, but they're done because of the relationship that we have and the passion we have for Jesus. And do you know why I believe that to be true? Because out of our passion for Jesus, out of our love for Jesus, because of our relationship with Jesus, we will serve in ways that bring him glory. We serve, we are his servants, not to be in his love, but because we are in his love. Because of his love for us and our passion for him, the service pours out of us. Uh, Brendan Manning suggests that the difference between the person who serves and the person who is a servant is the depth and quality of their love for Jesus Christ. A little earlier in Luke chapter 10, we read that the greatest thing that we've been commanded to do is to love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart and with all of our soul and with all of our strength and with all of our mind. And the second is like it, we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And because of his love, we have the courage to not be concerned as to whether or not we are the greatest of all time in our position and our place. Instead, we have the courage to choose what is better, to be passionately engaged with Jesus. And that gives us the courage to be selfless, the courage to not just serve, but the courage to be a servant. And so church, I ask you, do you have a passion for Jesus? And is that passion leading you to not just serve, but to be a servant. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for these challenging words of scripture. I thank you for the way that they are living and active and how they speak into our lives and into our souls. I thank you that they show us your love and they show us your passion for us. And so Father, I pray right now that each and every one of us would consider what it means for us as individuals and as a community of believers to to courageously serve, to not be concerned about our own greatness, but to have a passion for you, a passion that creates uh, within us not just a, a willingness to do things, but a desire to be a servant for others. Father, help us to share your love with people. I pray that we would be selfless as we love you and as we love others each and every day of our life. And so God, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you that we uh, can serve him and serve uh, each other. Uh, Father, I thank you for your love and your grace, your mercy and your forgiveness. We thank you for the hope and the courage that we have in you. We love you, Father, and, and we thank you so much for your presence. It's in his name that we pray, amen. This morning, as we do each week, we want to invite you to respond to the Lord. And it could be that today you're challenged with the fact of whether or not you have a passion for Jesus. And that passion begins with the relationship. And maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You need to do that. And we would love to give you the opportunity to experience him in that way, to walk you through that and just to celebrate with you your decision to follow him. Maybe for you, it's the point in your faith that you're ready to be obedient in baptism. You're ready to, to commit to, to being a part of this church. You're, you're ready to, to begin serving. Whatever that may be for you and in your life, we want to extend to you that opportunity to respond to the Lord in that way. And so 
the worship team is going to lead us in this song of response. And so I'm going to invite you as you're willing and as you're able to stand with me to let's respond to the Lord. And if you want to talk to someone, someone, there'll be members of the prayer team and leadership team and staff over by the cross. We'd love to receive you there and and pray with you and spend time with you. Uh, Let's sing. Let's respond. Let's worship the Lord together.